Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. But today we're going to continue our series, I'm Leaving. And if you're wondering what in the world uh, this series is about, it's all about leaving things behind to follow Jesus. Many times we treat Jesus like he's an addition to our life that is already going. But in reality, when we follow Jesus, we do a 180 and we go in the other direction from our old life because he's given us a new life in Christ. And so Jesus isn't an addition He's a transformation to your life and to mine. Amen. Has anybody here today experienced that transformation? That was a little weak. Has anybody experienced that transformation? Come on. It's an amazing thing. And so last week we talked about leaving our, the sidelines and our struggle with sin. Uh, today we're, we're talking about uh, leaving a life full of negativity. Now I can be negative and critical with the best of them. Sometimes we'll be out someplace and I'll say something and my wife will give me that, that, that loving elbow and she'll say, stop being so critical. But it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to be critical. They say the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats, right? And so you can be way up in the, in the last row at the top of the stadium and, and, and man, you, you just feel empowered to be critical of everything that's happening down on the field. But I heard one time about a man who was really struggling with worry, and so, and it was so bad, and it had turned into this, this debilitating anxiety, and, and so he wasn't feeling good, and so he went to the doctor. And the doctor said, nothing to worry about. You'll, you'll, leave, you'll live at least until you're 60. And the man said, I am 60. And the doctor said, see, I told you so, right? And then another guy, you know, he was, he was debilitated with worry. And, and so he said to his friend, I'm so worried about the economy. And his friend said, well, your hairline's in recession. Your waist is in inflation. So you're probably in depression, right? Some of you are like, Joe, these are so bad. <laughs> But that's what we do. We state the obvious, don't we? Whenever you're being negative, whenever you're being critical, whenever you're just, you, you literally can't see through a different lens, Most of the time, aren't you just stating what is incredibly obvious? You're saying what everybody else sees. You're mulling it over. You're just, and, and, and it's like, you just sound like a broken record. I know that I do when I slip into a, a cycle of negativity. It's focusing on what is. It's dwelling on problems. And can I just tell you, that's really easy to do. It doesn't take any creativity. It doesn't take any special superpowers. Anyone can be negative. And so why is it so important to talk about this today? Because we are surrounded literally by negativity. The, one of the primary places is the news. Man, I, I hadn't watched the news all yesterday and then somebody told me, did you hear? And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I, and I turn on to headlines about war in Israel and my heart just breaks and I begin to pray. And it's, it's just, it's, it's everywhere all the time, isn't it? But it's not just the news, it's relational drama, it's neighborhood drama, it's school drama, it's the, the crazy HOA board neighbor. Does anybody have one of those? They're just out to get you, right? It's the, it's the EGR at work, that extra grace 
required person that, that every time they talk, it's like, oh, you just have to hold yourself back. It's, it's, it's those people in your life that just have a permanent frown. They're like a shop back to your neck. When you're around them, they just suck the ever-living life out of you. It's like they have permanently been sucking on lemons. We all know people like that in your life, and maybe some of you, the Holy Spirit is just convicting you right now because you're that person. But these people in our life, you know, they're the kind of people that, man, you got exciting news, you come up to them and you're like, I bought a house. And they're like, yeah, but what about those taxes? They're the people that are like, you know, you say, I just got a new job, I'm so excited. And they're like, now you're just working for the man, right? You're excited, I got a new car. And they're like, just wait for the repair bills, they're coming. I got a new haircut. And they're like, your nose looks bigger. We, 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 you're laughing because it's so true. You're like, I decided to follow Jesus. I got baptized last, or a couple weeks ago. And they're like, get ready for the persecution, brother. Right? <laughs> it's so true. We all know. You stub your toe, and they're like, Jesus said there will be troubles and tribulations of many kinds. And it's funny, but it's true. But negativity unchecked can lead to worry, which can lead to anxiety, which has crippling effects in your life. But it always starts with the little things that we don't expect. Communication scholars have found that that across many years, especially the last 20 years, coverage of political topics tends to be more often conveyed in a negative or cynical tone rather than a positive one. One study in the mid-2000s found that only 6% of news conveys good news. 6%. And another recent study showed that that from 2000 to 2019, the negativity, the, uh, the, the news denoting anger and fear and disgust and sadness, it just went on a steep incline. We are absolutely surrounded by negativity. And so... Now, negative people make up all kinds of excuses for their negativity. We do this. They say, I'm just being realistic. Have you ever heard that one? I am a four on the Enneagram, so what do you expect? Right? I'm an artist, and I just have a critical eye. We hear all kinds of things. I've heard negative people say, do you not want me to tell the truth? What do you want me to do? Lie? These are probably things some of you have said before, right? They say, we need to stay informed. We can't just bury our heads in the sand. And many times, with good reason, negative people, um, they're they're kind of in a self-protective mode. They've they've been hurt before, and so because of their hurt, they're self-protecting. But here's what we got to know. Negativity has a huge impact on your heart. Studies have shown get this, that, that the risk of a heart attack increases 21-fold within the first 24 hours after, for instance, losing a loved one. So a negative experience, negative emotions, sadness, you know, and so we, we just kind of, that's an extreme one, like losing a loved one, it's like, okay, obviously that's going to have a profound impact. But then we, we don't think anything of just living within negative emotions all the time. Right? And so if, if losing a loved one can do that in 24 hours, just think 
what years and years and years of negative thinking over and over and over will do to your life. And what it really comes down to is a habitual outlook. We all have negative emotions, and there's nothing wrong with feeling them, right? When you read the Psalms, when you read Scripture, you see sadness, you see anger, you see hurt, you see dealing with offenses, you see it all. But the problem is, and the question you need to ask yourself today, have I slipped into a habitual outlook of negativity? It could be a little bit of your wiring, your personality. It could be your choices. It could be your environment that you grew up in. It could be a hurt that you've experienced. It could be a lot of things. But here's the common denominator today. You and I get to choose how we're going to respond. We get to choose what we're going to think about. And most importantly, we get to choose the words that are going to come out of your mouth. That's convicting, isn't it? It's convicting. We all look through a filter. The filter could be hurt. It could be um, pain. It could be you got burned. Who knows? And I'm not saying that we should be annoyingly optimistic either. Everybody knows somebody like that in their life, right? Like back, back in the day, it was the Pollyanna. And some of you are way too young to know what that is, but some of you know what I'm talking about. But we should all be aware and intentional. And bottom line, Negativity is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. You will not find negativity encouraged in the Bible. Brian Tracy wrote a book, great book. It says, change your thinking, change your life. And that is true. But I want to challenge you today that we don't just change your thinking. We have to change it to the right kind of thinking. And there's only one person that we need to put in charge of our thinking. And it's Jesus Christ. And so how do we leave behind a life of negativity and walk in the peace that Christ has for us? That's the big question today. Not just we need to, but how. How in the world are we going to turn our hearts and turn our minds from a life of, of, of being habitually negative to peaceful because of Jesus? So the first thing you got to do, let's, let's get out those notes. Let's fill in the blanks. Let's, let's be engaged. Notes are on the app too if you need to open up your app and start filling them in there. But number one, we must remain in Christ. We've got to remain in him. And what does this look like? John 15, 4 through 5, it says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, you cannot produce positive fruit in your life. You just can't do it. You're gonna be stuck in the old way, the negative way of doing things. And so what does this mean to remain in him? It means that his words must be loudest in our hearts and in our minds. We've gotta get his word embedded in our hearts. We've gotta know what he thinks. We gotta know how he sees the world so that when we're surrounded by negativity, instead of having those voices influencing and driving and leading our lives, we have the voice of our loving savior, amen? His words must be the loudest. This happens when we have a habit of remaining in him. 
Psalm chapter 1 likens it to a tree that's planted by streams of living water, right? Jesus came and he said, I'm the living water. You need him in your life. And if you don't remain in him, close to him, listening to him, if the input of God's word in your life doesn't uh, uh, surpass the input, the, all the other inputs in your life, it's going to be really hard to stay connected to the vine. Remember, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as, it, if, as if it were true. Have you ever heard that before? A lie believed as truth will affect your life as it, if it was truth. Too many times we're building our lives on lies. What did Jesus come and say? He said, the truth will set you free. And then what did he say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the first step to getting the negativity out of your life is to saying, hey, I'm going to park my life in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to take advantage of the access that I have to his presence every single day. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to just, just keep doing what I've always done and getting what I've always got. I'm going to change the input in my life. I'm going to remain in him so that the output of my life can be different. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. You see, because the classic answer from somebody that is just perpetually and habitually negative is that, Joe, you just don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't have what I need to do what God is calling me to do. But God's word is incredibly clear. It says, God has given us what? Everything that we need for living a godly life. We have everything that we need, but many times we'd rather focus on what we don't need, don't have, right? We'd rather focus on the negative. We do this, but it really comes down to what am I putting in and am I remaining in Christ? I love Psalm 23 because this is a real world, real life acknowledgement of reality, but it reframes it through a heavenly perspective. And this is what you and I have to become experts at doing, that we take the real life that we're experiencing with all the realities, the hurts, the habits, the hangups, the, the stuff, the, the, the offenses, the bad news, everything that we're walking through in life, and we're reframing it in a heavenly perspective. So let's do this together really quick. Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Some of you just need to proclaim that over, over your life today because when we remain in Christ, he fulfills our wants. And we don't have to search every, everywhere else. When we remain in Christ, he fulfills our wants. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful strings, streams. He renews my strength. And so when we remain in Christ, we remain in him by going to him for peace and renewal. So when we, our mind and we start to go off the rails and we start to get negative, we run to Jesus. We run to him. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. We remain in Christ when we do life God's way. And so just like we talked about last week, if there's some sin in our life, we got to get that out so that we can remain in Christ. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, remember I told you this is reflecting reality. 
Some of you are going through dark times. You're hearing bad news. You heard a bad report in your physical body this last week or, or recently. You're walking through the valley. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for, your, for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect me and comfort me. And so we remain in Christ when we trust him. We trust his guidance and his discipline in our life, right? You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. So we're not denying that there's, there might be people against us. We might, we're not denying that we might be living in a hostile environment. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. So we remain in Christ when our identity is secure in him, right? We're secure. We're confident. We're not worried about what everybody else thinks. We're, we're secure in him. And then lastly, surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is one of many amazing proclamations in God's word that give you an example about how to practically remain in Christ. We've got to remain in him. Most of the time when you find yourself habitually negative, and you ask yourself honest, honest questions like, when's the last time I meditated on scripture? When's the last time I spent some quality time with Jesus? When's the last time I, I, I was feeling this way and instead of running to Facebook or social media or to, or to my best earthly friend, I ran to my heavenly father in prayer. And we ask ourselves those questions and man, we're like, we're, we're, we're convicted because we're like, man, it's obvious. I've gotten into this negative rut and this negative mindset because I've not remained in Christ. I've let the dark valley overtake me instead of acknowledging him when I'm in the middle of it. Number two, the second thing we have to do if we're gonna leave our life of negativity behind is we have to be willing to be pruned. We have to be willing to be pruned. John 15, 2 says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear, produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. If you want to leave your life in negativity, you have to be ready for God to change some things in your, in your life. To lovingly bring discipline in your life, you have to have a, a teachable spirit, Right? And you have to have this perspective that when things don't go the way that you wish they went in your life, you acknowledge that, man, God might not have caused this bad thing, but he's definitely going to work through this to help make me look more like him. Amen? There's a pruning process in your life. My dad used to have a statement, and I wish he was here today. He's out, out preaching on the other side of Cincinnati today, but... He used to have a statement that uh, he, would, he would say, it's better this way. No matter what happened, he'd say, you know what? It's better this way. And some of you are like, Joe, that does not in any way apply to what just happened in my life. And you're right. There's some things that happen that are just, just horrible. But if you can submit your life to a heavenly perspective... And man, when something just horrible happens in your life, you allow God to reframe your perspective and reframe your heart to where you could say, well, it's better this way. It's better this way. 
Man, what will it do to your perspective into your life? What will it do? You know, and you might say, well, Joe, I, I, I went through this hurt and, and there, there's nothing good about it. And, you're, and you know what? You're right. There's many hurts and, and pains in your life that there's nothing good about. But you can have an it's better this way perspective when you know that God doesn't waste a hurt. And he could take what you went through and the pain that you're feeling and allow, and he can use that to minister to somebody else who's going through the same kind of hurt. Because the Bible is very clear that when God comforts you, it's not just for you. It's not just about what you're receiving. He comforts you so that you can then take that comfort that you've received and comfort someone else. Amen? And so when we say it's better this way, are we acknowledging that everything in life is good? No. But we're saying that God can use it and he can prune us and he can teach us for his glory and for his honor. You see, pruning that God does in our life, it puts the focus on future growth instead of present comfort. That we're, we're gonna focus on the future growth that he wants to do in our life, not just the present comfort. Negativity is all about the present. It's all about what's happening right now. But when we flip things on their head and we say, God, use me, teach me, prune me, do whatever you have to do in my life, then he can then come in and reshape your perspective to focus on future growth. Because when a gardener prunes a plant, in the current present, it looks like he might be harming it. But he's focused on the future growth, amen? He's focused on the future growth. And so when the negative things happen in your life, you've got to remember, hey, this is an opportunity, if I steward it right, for God to grow me in a way that could not have happened otherwise. Some of us, sometimes we get impatient and we give up. We think, God, I've been pruned enough. We think if this is God's idea of pruning in my life, then I don't want any part of it. But I just want to encourage you, keep going on the process. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 says it like this. And this is the process. When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, and that's what we need to do spiritually, right? When I grew up, I put away childish things. I left them behind. Now we see things imperfectly. Now we see things imperfectly. Throughout the rest of your life, you will see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then... After you breathe your last breath and you enter into glory, into the, into the eternal presence of God because Jesus has forgiven you and redeemed you by, the, by his shed blood on the cross, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. You can rest and you can trust in the fact that God knows you. He knows the circumstances in your life. He knows what has happened to you. He knows the hurt that you're experiencing. He knows the questions that you're asking. He knows the negative. He knows the good. He knows it all, right? He knows it all. And you can trust him with your life, that he loves you in the midst of it, and he's going to be there with you. But guess what? That doesn't mean that on this side of heaven we're going to see everything clearly or not. And that's part of the pruning process. 
Will you trust God when things are tough? Will you trust him? I love what Maxwell says. He says, people are not known by how they act when they're in control, when they understand everything, when they've got everything in the palm of their hand, but how they react when things are beyond their control. That's pruning. People are not known by how they act when they're in control, but by how they react when things are beyond their control. See, this is the test. Can I be positive? Can I have a heavenly perspective when things are completely out of my control? Newsflash today. Most things are out of your control, (laughs) right? But what do you have control over? How you react, your perspective, your attitude. These are the things that Christ prunes. Number three, lastly, if we're going to leave our life of negativity behind, so first of all, we're going to remain in Christ. Number two, we're going to be willing to be pruned. We're going to lay our lives at his feet. And then number three, we must bear fruit. This is where it gets fun, church. We must bear fruit. John 15, 7 through 8 says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's awesome. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. This is God's plan for your life, that your life will produce much fruit and that you bring glory to God. This is what it's all about. You know, sometimes in life, you know, when you're just feeling down in the dumps, when you're just, you know, seeing things a little negative, you just need a win, right? Come on, Bengals fans. You just need a win, right? (laughs) Come on, somebody. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, Joe, if I slip a, bit, a little bit more in the offering, can you just do a special blessing on the Bengals this Sunday during service? I'm not sure it works like that, but for what it's worth, Jesus, help them today. Here, there we go. <laughs> all right. Sometimes you just need a win. We all, all the Bengal fans in the house kind of know what that feels like right now. And whatever your team is, I'm sure you felt like that at some point in your sports history. But it's the same in your personal life. Sometimes you just need a win. This is a foundational uh, perspective in, in leadership. That when you're a leader, you need to win. You need to produce. You need to do something that, that, that moves the ball down the field. And it's the same in your life. Sometimes you need a win. And listen, every time you choose to let Jesus's words and his fruit to be produced in your life, it's a win. Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't give it that much credit. But Galatians 5.22, you know, what's the fruit that it's talking about? What kind of fruit do we want to produce in our life? It's not limited to this, but this is part of it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so when you produce these things in your life, it's a win. You need a win sometimes, don't you? 
And so we must bear fruit. And you say, Joe, I've been stuck in this negativity so long. Guess what? It can change. It can begin to change today. You can start winning today. Love somebody. Be joyful. Put a smile on your face. Walk in the peace of God. Have patience. In line. Admire. Come on. That's, that's me. <laughs> I'm just talking to myself just then. Have patience. Be faithful. Be faithful. Husband, be faithful. Wife, be faithful. Be gentle. Have self-control. You could do it. You could get a win under your belt today. There's other fruits that we bear. One of the biggest fruits that we bear is our character. And, and all those things in the, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, that's about your character. We also bear fruit in our conduct, what we do and what we don't do. And then, and then the last kind of fruit that we bear is converts. And so we got character, we got conduct, and we got converts. Who are we taking with us? Who are we leading to Jesus? Who will be in heaven because of your influence in their life? Bear fruit. It's not an option, church. It's not optional. But bearing fruit is not hard. It comes with small wins and daily choices. And so what has to happen for something to grow, for, for you to bear fruit in your life? First, you got to find the seed. You got to plant the seed. You got to tend the garden, right? Your character is the seed. Your thoughts they're the soil. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. God is the gardener, right? Your conduct, your impact is the fruit. So much of the time we just say, man, this all seems like far away. It seems like down the road. Like I got to know more. I got to do more before I, I start to really bear fruit for Christ. No, you begin to bear fruit by Christ, for Christ by the small daily choices that you make. It's sad to realize that many people in this world have needs that very few can meet. And why is that? It's because most individuals concentrate their efforts on picking fruit instead of producing fruit. It's so much easier to be a consumer than to be a contributor. A consumer is inherently negative because a consumer is always taking. That's negativity, it's, it's like I'm subtracting. But a contributor is always giving. A contributor is always bearing fruit. You know, how many of you know, man, it's way better to be on the building crew than the wrecking crew. Build people up. Build yourself up. Think right. Remain in Christ. Submit yourself to his pruning. And you can start bearing fruit today. Some of you are like, well, Joe, I need to, I need to be a Christian for a while before I start bearing fruit because, you know, if I'm planting the seed now, it's not going to come to fruition until next season. You know, we think in those worldly terms, in, those, in those, the, the worldly timeline that it takes time for fruit to grow. And guess what? There are some fruits in your life that it does take time. But you can also start to bear fruit today. And this is the mindset shift that we have to have. We gotta make this shift, church. 
that I can be someone who bears fruit every single day. Philippians gives us some great advice. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it says, Always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Can we do this? Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Can we do that? Can we do that? We make this Christian life so complicated, don't we, sometimes? We're worried about everything we can't control. What if we just reined in the things that we can? You get to choose. And my prayer for you this week is that Psalm 30, 11 through 12 is the story of your life. That you went from somebody who is negative to somebody who says something like this. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing your praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Man, I love it. Church, I've got a million reasons to be negative, and you do too. But the reasons to be positive will always be more. Amen? Always be more. The biggest positive thing that has ever happened in your entire life is that Jesus came and he laid down his life on a cross so that you could be free, so that you could be forgiven. And this life of positivity, of being full of love and joy and peace that comes from the Spirit of God, it can only happen because of the grace of Jesus in your life. When he comes into your life and he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Come to the Father through me. When he comes and he looks you right in the eyes and he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.